We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Antonio Davis, and you're listening to Setting the Pace on Pacers Podcast. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joined today by my lovely co-host, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Ooh, nothing much. And guys, we have a treat for you today. A little bit of a blast from the past, from the glory days when the Pacers were, uh, well, when they were winning. And that's <laughs> Antonio Davis will be joining us today. Absolutely. So you can hear that conversation with me, Fachi, and Antonio Davis in the second segment of today's podcast. I'm going to be hopping on with Tony East from Locked On Pacers to do a one-on-one conversation with him. Uh, Fachi will not be able to join me for that one, but uh, definitely wanted to have Fachi on for the Antonio Davis conversation because uh, Antonio Davis is a beloved Pacer, and I think a lot of fans are going to like this, Fachi. I'm looking forward to it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it too. Absolutely. So let's uh, get out of the way and get to our show. We'll talk to you all next week. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Joining me right now from Locked On Pacers is Tony East. Tony, what's going on, man? 
Excited to be chatting, man. This is a uh, th- when the trade deadline sniffs, you know, the, the two week smell, you can you can see it coming and the games are returning soon and the all star breaks over. Everybody just gets in the zone to just talk about basketball. And I'm in that zone right now. So I'm excited. Uh, I feel the same way. But what's so weird is we still have like half the season left and it's not just like one third of the season. So it's kind of throwing me for a loop seeing how many games I know, we have still. It, yeah, I know. Usually the all star break is like and. It's so weird because, like, you have no idea what the rank of the league is this time around the All-Star break, right? Like, everybody's still kind of bunched up because it's only halfway through, whereas it's normally two-thirds and you kind of know who's bad and who's good. It's, 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 I kind of like this better. It's, it's more interesting, that's for sure. The second half is more interesting. And, you know, the Pacers, I, I got to jump right into it. Obviously, they've just not been playing good basketball over the last couple of weeks. They've had some wins here and there, but it's just been sprinkled in between four-game losing streaks. And they've got a gauntlet of a schedule here coming up in March. And I know that you've been talking about it a lot on your pod, but I, I want to look back at, at some of the past couple of weeks. You know, what do you think has been some of the major struggles for this team in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, they're sort of too predictable almost um, into the and I think that the way you see that manifested the most. And this is something I've been asking players a lot about in in you know media and stuff is like they don't go on runs ever. Right. The other team goes on a, about once a game. I would say the Pacers opponent goes on like a 10, 15 0 run and the Pacers just they can battle back and forth. But they always have one slumping run because and Caitlin Cooper ironically just wrote about this, but. Uh, they're getting more predictable and that teams kind of know their sets and they haven't really evolved them yet. And some of that's that they don't have guys who are really creative and good creators. You know, we know that without Karis mm-hmm. and TJ, they're, they're limited in their creators. So they're kind of limited to transition and sets to really get awesome shots. And they're having a lot of trouble doing that recently, right? So they can't go on a sustained run to put teams away. And I think there are only two memorable runs since, the, gosh, let's think back. Since they beat the Pistons, there are only two memorable runs in my head are the very beginning of the Knicks game and the very beginning of the Celtics game, right? Like, those are the only two that even stand mm-hmm. out to me. So that combined with they're just kind of inconsistent on defense, right? They throw a lot of junk defenses in there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that inconsistency is a factor in the runs too. But uh, they're just – they don't have the creators to be creative on offense. Those two words are too similar. And they're <laughs> inconsistent on defense. So they, you put it together, and it's really hard to like put together a sustained run of success. Their longest win streak in all of February was, what, two games? And it was the Pistons and Hawks? Like, it, yeah. You know, they're definitely struggling right now. No, there's no doubt about it. And it's it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel because, quite frankly, once you trade Oladipo, everything just kind of changed. And, you know, it, they had a good week there, but most of that came when Edmund Sumner was playing. And now he's slowly starting to get back in the rotation. And I don't necessarily think he's the reason for – you know, why they're losing so much or winning so much, whatever. But I, I think that he could be a huge part of this team's success if he's actually given consistent minutes in the rotation. But, you know, why do you think he's not been consistently in the rotation, even though every time he's played, it's been positive? Uh, if I knew the answer to that, I would have said it many times in the last <laughs> couple of months because I've been harping on him playing for multiple seasons. I think most people know that I'm a big fan of his game. Right, right. And it's funny this year because, you know, the reasons you wouldn't play him in theory, the guy's right in front of him. Jeremy Lamb, it's because Jeremy Lamb kicks ass on offense. And, like, yeah, he's awesome at that. So you play him. And Aaron Holiday's young and growing and is pretty good on defense. So you you play them and let them do their thing. But Sumner is probably better than Aaron Holiday on defense and better than Jeremy Lamb on offense. He's not, like, individually maybe a more complete package than either of those guys necessarily. But recently he has been. And, I've, yeah. and so I think he's been better than both. I wrote about that I think he should play over both. And he has been now. Aaron Holiday might just be out of the rotation completely. I think he played four and a half minutes in their game against the Nuggets before the break. Mm-hmm. 
And that was so in I the fourth think, quarter, right? I can't remember. Because I felt it, like he came in late. Was that what, he, I think it hurt? was the fourth quarter, actually. Okay. I, no, he remember. played nine minutes against the Nuggets. Was it the Cavs you only played four minutes? Because McConnell and Sumner were amazing mm-hmm. in that game. Yeah, yeah, it was the Cavs. He played four okay. and a half minutes. So, yeah, his spot in the rotation is really small, which I think that that's okay if they're not totally benching him. That makes a lot of sense. But I don't know why they didn't start playing Sumner earlier. I mean, he's just so smooth in transition. He can defend lots of guys. He actually can shoot now, right? He was a really good shooter in the G League. I would always ask him about how the G League helped him, and he would talk about shooting confidence. Uh, So he's actually hitting the three right now. I don't know how long that'll last. Maybe it's permanent because he's shown he can do it in the minors before. So if that sticks, I mean, there's literally no reason not to play him. I feel like he has to be in the rotation the rest of the year. Yeah, and so I, I kind of went on a bit of a limb here, and I was like, I, I like what Doug McDermott does with the starters, but I also like how Edmund Sumner's defense is and, and how he can get in passing lanes and just the change of pace that he has. I mean, would you be opposed to maybe putting Doug back on the bench and starting Edmund Sumner in his spot? I've seen that take pop up a few times. Um, yeah, I think that makes some sense. I'm, I'm kind of thinking as I talk here. The trouble for me with, with changing the starters is I kind of think – Justin Holiday has been way better than McDermott this year, but I kind of think I'd rather move Justin to the bench than Doug if I had to make that choice because, and me and Adam just talked about this, uh, is one, the net rating with Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday together on the floor is really good this year, actually. It's one of the few lineups that Aaron actually clicks in, and I think there's two reasons for that. The family thing is really small, but it's a small benefit to both of them, right? They're actually pretty good at playing together. And two, their skills are just natural fits. Uh, and I think setting up Aaron Holiday for success is good, given his struggles this year. McConnell's good with anybody. Jeremy Lamb's the same with everybody, right? So you're not changing either of those guys, but you are elevating Aaron Holiday by playing him with Justin with the second unit. And two, McDermott is best with Sabonis. So by keeping McDermott starting, you have paired him with the player that he's the most effective with. So I think if I wanted to start Sumner, I would put him in for Justin Holiday. You can still play Justin Holiday 38 minutes and have him close games, but then I think you're maximi- you might be improving the starter slightly while also keeping your bench success at a high level and still getting some of the minutes he requires. That's what I would try to do if I was going to mm-hmm. start it, but I don't think I would. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing there is this McDermott and Sabonis pairing. I mean, McDermott has just not been as good when he's not out on the floor with Sabonis. It's just, it's just obvious. And well, if he could shoot, that wouldn't matter this year. But he can't shoot this year. I don't. I do not understand him. Like, it, I know. I, I was laughing because I think Zach Lowe brought it up on his podcast. Like, the Pacers could be both buyers and sellers, and he brought in McDermott and McConnell. And then when we had Jay Michael on on Monday, he actually said there's not a lot of actually there's zero interest in uh, McConnell. There's been no calls for him basically. But there's been, you know, interest in McDermott. And somebody said that they could add shooting to their team. And I'm like, have you seen McDermott play this year? His numbers have been awful. Adding, it, adding shooting is just making McDermott remember how to do it. I, yeah, I, seriously. I mean, if he can knock down threes on a consistent rate, I think there's maybe a couple of games we could have won uh, that we lost. But, uh, you know, Aaron Holiday, I just – this is a guy that I think a lot of Pacer fans had high hopes for. But it's just been really disappointing, and I never thought that I'd see the the light of the, at the end of the tunnel with Aaron Holiday being worse under Bjorkren than he has been under McMillan, um, especially because I felt like he had the short leash with McMillan for a little bit, and then last year was a starter and played pretty well. I mean, what, what do you think the biggest difference is? Is it just the system, or, or what's going on with him? I wish I had a good answer for that. A lot of people really, when that question would come up this offseason, right, a lot of similar topics were talked about amongst every Pacers coverage person this offseason. That was a common one. Who's going to be the player who improves the most with this coaching search? A lot of people said Turner. A lot of people said McDermott. But, like, a lot of the subtle answer was Aaron Holiday, right? He's not going to have the leash problem anymore. His skills match up with the things Bjorkren says he wants to do. And to Bjorkren's credit, 
he's done the things he said he wants to do, right? His defense is disruptive. There's more off ball movement. The ball moves fast on offense. You know, there's, there's no stagnation, even if it's predictable. That's, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's, it's moving and stuff like that. So Aaron is just (laughs) not fitting in. And I, it's kind of strange to me that that's happened. Some of it is just his, you know, he's, he was a better three point shooter last year. If he was shooting the same level from three, he was last year, he'd be really close to the same stats basically. But the other thing, and this is something that I talked about a lot with Aaron last year that I thought was his biggest improvement from year one to two is he's just, he got a lot better passing and he has totally taken that step back this year. When he comes in the game, he looks to shoot a lot more for reasons. I don't quite know. He's not playing point guard as much, right? He plays with McConnell a lot. So he's off the ball. So he's just not, he's not looking to pass as much. That balance is kind of gone for him. And I think that that means he takes tougher shots, which really hurts his shooting percentage, hurts his effectiveness, hurts the offense in general. And, I don't think Bjorken has a problem with the shots he's taking. And Aaron, to his credit, recently has, you know, figured out that little lefty floater thing. He's got that going for him. His shooting percentage has gone up, but he doesn't balance it enough anymore. He's just all shoot all the time and he's not hitting enough for that to be an effective player. So I think if it's coaching, if it is coaching that's causing him to struggle, it's that Bjorken just tells him to go out there and shoot. And if it's not coaching and it's an Aaron holiday thing, then he needs to reel it back in and remember what he was doing so well last year, which was maybe not, leading the bench unit that's a little extreme especially because he played with mcconnell but being more of a more of a floor general who is helping the offense in more ways than just scoring yeah and i think a lot of fans thought that mcconnell might take the back seat to aaron holiday as the backup point guard yep. for this pacers team and it's funny because that happened. Every, remember he started like that happened at first <laughs> yeah and i mean what's what's interesting too is i mean every time that he checks in the game Quinn Buckner's like, he's been struggling, but he's a scorer. He's just got to get out there and score the basketball. Um, and, you know, I think Aaron does have some scoring ability. There's no doubt about it. I think he can be a microwave type of player, but it's just too inconsistent. And honestly, it's like, it's so frustrating. And then you got a guy like Edmund Sumner who's been playing better than him. And the Pacers have a lot of good guards this year. Like McConnell has been unbelievable this season. I, he's honestly been almost attached to the hip for Bjorkren because like Bjorkren loves him. I just, I just laugh at how much he's playing him. And like, the game against the Knicks where he had 46 minutes, uh, just just crazy ridiculous to me. And not even the minutes conversation, but just how much he loves him. But I think McConnell's earned it, and I think McConnell's probably having his best year in a long time, maybe maybe ever. Yeah, I want to get to McConnell in a second, but I have a, I have a thought about Aaron Holiday that I've thought about before, but I never got to articulate, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do it now because I just remembered while we're talking. A career arc goal for Aaron Holiday, and I cannot believe I'm about to say this because I used to absolutely rip the player, I'm about to say. A good career arc for Aaron Holiday right now would be Terry Rozier because with 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 Boston, he had that one really awesome playoff series where he got like the scary Terry moniker and all that. But he was mostly pretty bad in the regular season. And he shot terrible. You know, he had the good a good three-point shooting season where he averaged over 10 points a game, but mostly was just a bad shooter, not looking to pass. Gets to Charlotte, and James Borrego says, I'm using this guy off ball. Right. I don't, he's going to pass a little bit. He'll have the ball a lot because he's going to play a lot, but he's going to be a movement shooter for me. And now Rozier is, is good and effective. He's shooting over 40% from three, two years in a row. He's actually efficient, 18 points per game last year, over 20 this year. And I'm not saying that's the role change necessarily that Aaron needs, but he needs the situation to, to set up for him to have that Rozier like moment where, where something happens and they go, okay, this is what your best role is. We're going to put you in, in this situation every game. And that's the career arc for him where he figures that out and gets the shots that he is good at and not just, here's the ball, go to your stuff. McConnell is having a killer year. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think the Bjorkren style is just perfect for him. Try to get paint touches when you have the ball in your hands to make the defense move around. Attack the ball like crazy on defense. McConnell did that stuff. 
under McMillan. So he is just in the perfect situation. I can't believe no one considered him for the perfect improvement player under Bjorkert in the offseason. <laughs> yeah, I, it was funny when we had Kevin Pritchard on. I asked him that question, who's been the most impressive to you? And the first person he brought up was Jeremy Lamb. I don't know if he'd still say that a couple weeks later after you know some of the really? struggles he had. But I think it was more so just he was impressed with how quick he's come back from that injury. Yeah, oh yeah. And I think that was more so, and he was—he had a really good start to the season. Like the first like week or so that he was back, uh, he he played pretty well, I thought. And I think that's why Bjorken started him. But as a starter, he was just pitiful, and just I don't know. His defense is is probably the worst I've seen in a long time from a wing player in the NBA. Um, but but I don't want to get too much on that. I want to keep with our conversation of young players, and the last you know notable young player that we need to talk about is Gogo Batadze. And, of course, it's been a small sample size this year, but what have been your overall thoughts on on Goga this season, and uh, what do you think his future looks like on this team? Well, he played bad against the Clippers uh, two months ago, so they should just trade him, right? That's that's how <laughs> this works. Yeah, he's, he's a bust, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was the absolute dumbest night, I think, of, like, like I try to read every reply. I really do. Like, get the polls of the team, see what people think of players. Like, how can I work this into the way I watch the player? But that game, that Clippers game, they, they got smoked, like, whatever. Everybody's going to be mad. But the Goga takes were so bad. Like, I could not believe this. People people are like, oh, my gosh, Bjorker needs to play Goga. He needs to play this young guy, that young guy. And then Goga plays, and everyone's like, no, never mind. I was like, wait, wait a minute. What, why does one get – anyway, Goga's been interesting. His defensive confidence looks way better this year than his rookie year. He's he's getting a lot better. He's not still not good at this, but he's a lot better at the spacing, especially when he has to – do drop coverage, defend two-on-ones, just be pressuring the ball, right? The, the stuff that Bjorkren asks his guys to do. He's a lot better at that. He got caught in no man's land so much last year. Right? I think he played against the Lakers, not in the bubble, the game they played in Banker's Life. And I remember Dwight Howard just dunking like all over him many times. Yeah. So he's gotten better at that kind of stuff. His spacing on offense is still a little awkward, but his screening's a little better. Um, but he's definitely been up and down. You know, he has some games where he looks – more lost than others. I think that's just a pace of the game thing when I watch it. You know, he he's still learning the speed of the NBA game. So when the game's moving a little slower in general, he can kind of understand where he needs to be or who he needs to be watching out for to stop. And when it's going up and down real quick, he he gets lost in the shuffle sometimes and ends up, you know, forcing up a three or whatever. But really, he's just he's not finishing his shots. And that's going to that's that's a big thing for him. Right. Because he was supposed to be a shooter. Uh, not that's not true. I don't want to ever tab a seven foot tall man as a shooter coming into the league. But you know, he was tabbed as a better finisher than he has been. And I think if he can just have a little better touch or hit a few more threes, his three ball has been awful. Yeah, I think my outlook on him would be a lot better because the defensive instincts are there. And I think he understands where he's supposed to stand. Like he reads the game pretty well. Uh, so I think he's already close to that backup level. But if he can't finish anything, then he'll never get there. So I think if he just could add a little more consistency, putting the ball in the basket, the objective of the game, then I think I'd be a lot higher on him. But he's had he's had a good year, just an up and down year. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out, because like. It's so hard to figure out if they're going to stay with the Turbonus duo. And if they do, what does that mean for Goga? Like, it, it, cool, he's a third-string yeah. center, but, like, really he needs playing time to develop and, and show what he can really be. But if you're going to keep those two guys and you know that it's better to just play them, you know, solo minutes, uh, I, I just – I'm not sure what his future is. And, and that, to me, is why, like, if you don't get his value up, then his trade value is not worth anything. But at the same time, if you're not playing him, then he's never going to really develop into a player that you really would consider to put in your rotation on a regular basis. So I just feel like they've got to figure out a way to 
find him minutes just for one of those two reasons. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. And he he's an interesting case of, of his role because they picked him so high. Not so high. Like 18th isn't. Well, they picked him over Brandon Clark. <laughs> yeah, gosh. It, it, the worst part about that draft is like all the guys I thought would be good have turned out to be good. So I just, just, just imagine if we had OG Ananobi and Brandon Clark on this team yeah, instead of TJ Leaf and Goga Batatze. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Like, like with Jalen Brunson, like I forgive a lot of teams. He went in the second round. Like literally yeah. every team passed on him, right? Like I don't, I, I was really high on him, but I don't feel as bad about teams that whiff there. But like, yeah, OG and, and Brandon Clark and Grant, Grant Williams has struggled a little bit this year, but those kind of guys that I just, I thought it was so obvious they'd be good. And then they actually turn out good. Taylor Horton Tucker. I wrote a whole thing about him too. Like, Oh, I remember <laughs> oh, my heart, man. I hate when that happens. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with Goga, it's interesting because that was the takes around he was picked. The second he was picked, with this conversation we're having started, is like, oh, okay, yeah. either a center's getting traded and he'll play, or he is a trade piece. And I think that that's going to come to a head kind of soon. I mean, maybe not this deadline. Actually, almost certainly not this deadline. But, you know, if, if they flame out in the playoffs this year, they might have to say, okay, we're either moving one of our centers or we're using Gogar Aaron or whatever as the big as one of our bigger chips to get a better fitting player. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll come to a head soon, but yeah, that's it. That's a definitely a problem. They're kind of stuck in the middle of this year's how do they get all three of them minutes. Uh, I, I, again, the solution should be Sabonis plays whatever four less minutes and <laughs> yeah. 36 and a half is a lot. Those go to Goga. That's a little bit of help. Sam with Turner. He plays two less minutes and six minutes. Sounds like nothing, but like that's a full stint, right? Like mm-hmm. in the second quarter. And he, if he doesn't play in the second half, like whatever, you've got him a little bit of time out there to play with NBA players. Like that has some value. So no. I think that's what they should do, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I get why they're not, especially because they're 16 and 19 and they need to try to win every game at this point. Right. And I just want to touch on this real quick. I know there's been a lot of conversation about the amount of minutes these, these guys are playing, but quite frankly, it, it, to I me, think we've it's both talked about it so much that there's like nothing to add anymore. I, I mean, I really don't even care that much, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, sure. It's like, we can look at the box score every game and see that Sabonis is playing 38 minutes, whatever, mm-hmm. and think that it's too much and maybe it'd be better for the team if he wasn't playing as much, but it's like, I don't really think it slowed him down any to me personally. I think that what slowed him down is just, a lot, like you said, the uh, predictability, what, what they're running, what they're doing. It just all seems very stagnant at points, and, you know, they, they just lack that creator. So, to me, that's kind of where I'm at. But I did touch right. on it a little bit, talking about Gogo with the solo minutes, and I know you've been hitting on this a lot, and we had a conversation about Probably it off much. air. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But, but it's but it's understandable because, like, the solo minutes for both these guys have been pretty good, but the minutes for Miles, I mean – depending on how big of a sample size it is. I haven't really looked at the numbers. I know you've been talking about it, but like they've been really good. And to me, it's like when you're struggling this badly, even if Sabonis is your all-star, why not play these minutes more? I don't, I don't yeah. understand that. Well, let, let, let's zoom out on that conversation a little bit because I thought about writing about this. I might. The solo miles minutes have been awesome. Like, like to the point of me tracking them. So many of them are with bench units, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that if you will go back to last year, that was the solo Sabonis minutes that were so right. big-ass that made him have awesome stats and awesome on-offs and got him, frankly, into his all-star status, right? So I think it's just that the Pacers bench unit plus one center is a great group, and Turner just happens to be the guy in those units this year. Now, it, they should still play that unit more, <laughs> right? right? That's what you're saying, and I agree with you. They should still try to fit Turner with those bench guys because they just pummel teams in those minutes, and I think if that comes at the expense of not playing Goga, you have to do it. That's there's Again, they're 16-19. Like, you got to start winning – at some point, if you have these playoff aspirations, sneaking in any number of wins above zero before Karras's return, given their March schedule, would be awesome, right? Like one win, you're like, yes, awesome. We, we beat the Lakers or whatever. 
Like that's awesome. So if that means playing that Turner bench group more, I'm all for it. If that means finding a way to try Sabonis with that bench group more without having Turner on the floor, maybe try that, you know, just, just something. Cause those lineups are working very well. It worked well last year for the Pacers and McMillan went to it a lot. Yes, I mean, Sabonis was like their sixth man, even though he was a starter. So yeah, uh, it was, it was quite impressive how and, and him and McConnell and McDermott just clicked so well together. And I thought yep. Justin holiday fitted, fitted well with that group as well. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic with this team I, I think could be unlocked in different ways but uh, it hasn't been so far and instead we're seeing Sabonis go out there and uh, try to chase wing players on the three-point line so it's uh <laughs> it's been frustrating in that area but uh you, you brought up Yay. Karis Levert I'm just curious I mean this might sound like a very dumb question but how much do you really think Levert will help this team overall uh a lot yeah there we go end of segment no um yeah I mean <laughs> Just the, I think this goes back to the very first thing we talked about with their struggles. And I think me and Adam kind of talked about this when he talked about his return. It's just like he adds a level of unpredictability that they don't have right now, right? He can kind of pass. He can incredibly score from basically everywhere. His three is just not quite good enough to say everywhere in the same way you can with TJ Warren. But he can, you know, he can put the ball on the floor and get a shot from lots of spots on the floor, which is really impressive. And I think looking at his raw stats is, again, not the perfect way to, to, to illustrate how much he can help offensively because he only played 28 minutes a game with the Nets. If you go to per 36, his points per 36 would be higher than anyone on the Pacers, right? His scoring per minute, it, it would literally be the best on the team. And his assist per minute would be higher than anyone except McConnell, which catching McConnell is impossible in assist per minute, so whatever. But, right, he, he's an underrated – well, actually, okay, underrated is not true. He's, a, he's an okay passer, right, and they need that too. So his, I think his offensive help might be honestly a little, a little understated. You know, he just – because of that unvariability it adds, even if he is just standing away from the play and he catches it with a, with a half step advantage because the defender is recovering. Like that is so much more helpful than having Justin holiday in the same situation, for example, who like, yeah, again, Justin holiday is having a phenomenal season shooting really well, playing great defense, but he's, he's going to shoot or he's going to shot fake and take a dribble to the side and shoot. Like you just, you know what he's doing. Karis Levert, you don't know what he's doing, and he's so dynamic that that will be really helpful. His defense is just okay, um, so maybe you replace him for McDermott in the starters, and then he's still better than McDermott on D. But I just think he can help in a lot of areas that they're missing, mainly that predictability aspect, and I think that's going to help the Pacers a ton. No, I, I agree. And I, man, am I excited to watch him play. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It'll give this team a little bit of new, new life, like just something different, you know, something to add into the mix. I think fans will just be excited to see how he plays, especially like the incredible story of him overcoming this whole cancerous thing and, and just coming out of that and the Pacers being able to find it and go through the deal and everything. I mean, it's a really cool story, so I'm hoping the best for him. And uh, just as we wrap this part of the conversation up before I get into trade talk, your favorite thing to talk about um, – Nate Orkren, how do you feel about the job he's done so far this season? As a general liker of basketball, X's and O's, uh, <laughs> I like his philosophies in, in general and as a concept, right? Get right. the ball out of good players' hands, try to make other guys beat you, move a lot on offense, try to make your hubs be smart and beat defenses. And, you know, look, look he was paired with another genius-minded Nick Nurse in Toronto, right? So they, they had – collaboration in a way that they can't have without Nick Nurse in Indiana. But we know that his stuff with the right guys can be awesome. Like Kawhi mm -hmm. Leonard is not going to be on the Pacers, but they even without Kawhi Leonard, the Raptors were good the year before. Now we're seeing with Nick Nurse, Leonard's gone. They're still good, right? His ideas are clearly founded in some level of basketball success. I believe in his X's and O's. 
I just think that integrating them in year one with a short offseason is kind of hard and the personnel maybe not be perfect for the things he wants to do. And we t- look, we're not going to talk about the minutes anymore, but he's, he's a little heavy on the starter. So he definitely has flaws for sure. He's a first year head coach. You know, there's going to be iron ironing out stuff with all that forever. And it's not, you know, it's not quite his team yet or the vision of what he maybe perfectly wants to do. But I think he's a smart guy. The players really like him and his positivity. He's more of a player's coach than McMillan, which is something the, these guys wanted. We'll see if it actually manifests into any level of success. But, you know, this is something the team wanted. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him so far in terms of philosophy and who he is as a person, but the results haven't come. And at some point, it's not now. It's probably a year from now at earliest. But at some point, if the results don't come, you have to go, okay, maybe this was a mistake. But so far, I think the foundation he said in terms of, you know, building that reputation with players and, and explaining to them exactly what he wants to do and having, you know, philosophies that are well-founded and have generated success with other teams. I think that all makes me believe that he's going to do well with this team. And once, you know, he has the right pieces, even that, even if that's just Levert and Warren, like, that's yeah. totally possible, then great. He could be awesome. So I, th- I think he's done a good job so far, but, you know, definitely the, the wins and losses part, which is what he will ultimately get judged on, has not been awesome. Yeah, I think wins and losses will be a huge thing. And if they make the playoffs, which is still, you know, up in the air based on how these other teams perform. I still think they will. I've been so confident yeah. the whole season. I still think they will. I, I agree with you. I mean, I know a lot of people are interested in, like, getting into the draft again. But after seeing how the Pacers have drafted, I mean, do you really trust their judgment? <laughs> I mean, that's my biggest no, fear. I, know. It's I, like, I, I agree. Uh, and it's Unless like, they somehow get the 6% chance to jump into the top five. Like, okay, great. Now they have the 10th pick and they have been terrible at drafting for four years. Like, what, why is this any better? Than- <laughs> the, I think the most appealing thing to the Pacers if they get the pick is to trade it. Um, and I don't think people really would, would want to talk about that because they want to see who they draft, but that could be their best asset if they attach it to something to, to get a quality Unless they player. draft Trace Jackson Davis, in which case they are the smartest team ever. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know if I agree that's, with that. that. That's just a joke. I love Trace. <laughs> I like I like Trace. I love Trace at IU. I don't I don't know how good he'll be in the NBA, but I just I I just I'll tell you what. The only me, fun I, thing about that basketball team, dude. I'm an IU basketball fan, and I can't watch this team. Uh, four years. <laughs> I, I I literally will not watch them until Archie's <laughs> Archie's not there. I, I, I think have he's a, an awful coach. They put college basketball games on a lot, and like the media area of Pacers games when we're there. I think I think of Ryan Stevens the. Fever PR guy helps with the channels. He kills it. Um, but 
Anyway, they have IU basketball in there. And sometimes like those guys catch the ball and they don't know what they're going to do with it when they mm-hmm. catch it. You know what I mean? It's it's the weirdest thing to me. I'm like, <laughs> I, like I've never, I've never seen that before. Whatever. This isn't an IU basketball. Player. I know. I, I just, just, I really want Trace to be awesome because I think his skills have not been able to be shown. In college. I, I, I will guarantee that he has a better career than Romeo Langford does in the NBA. I but, disagree uh, with you there. But you think Romeo is going to have a good career? Yeah, when he – this is not actually a thing that might happen, but this is like the trade that makes the most sense to me in the entire NBA is the Celtics somehow getting Harrison Barnes. So when Romeo Langford gets to the Kings and gets an opportunity to play, I can't wait for him to prove some people wrong. All right, you brought up trade, so I got to <laughs> I – le- I let you talk me into uh, this conversation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. So Harrison Barnes is actually, I did a top 10 list of players I would like the Pacers to look at at the trade deadline, and he was actually number one on my list. And I've had some conversations with different people just talking about Harrison Barnes, and look, it would take a lot if the Pacers did not give up one of their bigs. He's been awesome. It would literally take Jeremy Lamb, Doug McDermott and Aaron Holiday. And I actually said, you'd probably have to throw in a first round pick. You're right. Uh, and, and me and Mark were talking about it. And Mark said, I don't know about the first round pick, but I just think that if you're trying you definitely to need a first round pick with, with, that, with that. Yeah. Because it, to me, it's like you're the, some of the parts is not equal what you're getting back. And um, personally for me, I just feel like you either have to be a first round pick or Goga. And I'd rather give up the first round pick at this point, even though that would give you an overload of bigs. The biggest question would be, so if you get him, and then once Warren comes back, who's not starting? I'm like, who cares? You know, uh, if you can get Harrison Barnes, I think that you could play mon- uh, many more solo minutes. And even if he comes off the bench as a sixth man, he could play starter level minutes. It doesn't mean like he he doesn't get to play 30 plus minutes. I mean, there's there's plenty of room in there to get him into the game. And so I really feel like if that's a guy they can get, I think he really makes them better. And especially if we don't know how Warren's going to look when he comes back, he can play the three for a while and uh, and s- sit right in there with uh, with Lavert. And Brogdon in the in the backcourt, I really I really like that idea of getting Harrison Barnes. Uh, yeah, he's really good, and I agree with your evaluation. I think of what it would take to get him, like like Lamb and Holiday is like at best a neutral trade package right now. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. So McDermott's all the value you're really giving the Kings there in terms of player plus expiring. So I I th- agree with your evaluation of the trade package. I think he's good and would help this team, especially with worn out. Right, he can play three, he can play four. Uh, I do worry though that they have a a log jam of forward. Yeah, you're. I don't know. I'm trying to think this through. Goga would not play ever if they got Harrison Barnes. No, I but I think it, I mean, if, over. if you made this move, one Harrison Barnes could be you know tradable. It's insurance if you lose T.J. Warren, you know, for some reason, for at least one season. I, I think it also allows you, if you look at both of the bigs and realize, hey, we're better with you know Barnes, Warren, Lavert a center in, in Brogdon, then you could look at maybe maybe making a trade. I'm not sure what the trade would be, but it, I think you get something of value in return, whether it's a bench player or or whatever. That's my aver- I think my biggest aversion to Barnes is that he's not – like like Harrison <laughs> – I want to phrase this well. I think Sam Fondiari um, tweeted this and articulated it well. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. But basically it's like Harrison Barnes is like the – is like tricking you as a fan base into like – thinking about success because Harrison Barnes is not good enough to get them over any humps that faced them in the playoffs, but he would take a first round pick to get. So it's like, well, he would help a lot. It's like, you're giving up way too much to not get any extra success value back 
You know what I mean? Like if they mm-hmm. give up a first, they need a guy who's like, wow, that fit with the Pacers is so awesome that maybe now they can take down, you know, Philly or Milwaukee or whatever. Right. Yeah. And that's that maybe that's out there. I don't I don't think so, but maybe that's out there. But that's what I would give up a first for. And Barnes is good. I again I agree with you that he would help this team a lot, but I think he's in that tricky tier of like, well, is that really worth it, especially when you're under five hundred? Like maybe not. But I, I get where you're coming from that he would definitely help a lot. Yeah, so some some names that might be easier to obtain um, that I've I've gone through. I'm just gonna get your thought, like just your thoughts, like. And okay. some of these might be just like straight up for Jeremy Lamb. Some of these might. You've heard be me. Like, I've come up with exactly two fake trades this entire uh, right. I'm tra- very boring. So I'm trying to remember what trades you said again. Uh, can you run those by me again, just so yes, I can? My two were uh, Jeremy Lamb for JJ Redick and Jeremy Lamb for Trevor Ariza. Okay, so I didn't bring those guys up just because they're older. Uh, but this guy's kind of older too. It's Alfaruk Aminu. Um, oh, and he makes the same amount of money as Lamb, and he's on the he magic. is on the magic, right? Yeah, correct. I think he makes about 9.5. He played the like, season, yeah. He's played in uh, he's played in nine games, started six. He's shooting 40, it looks he's like for a while, 40 percent from three. It's yeah, only it's averaging, real. no offense to him, but that's not yeah, real. it's uh, <laughs> 0.7 out of 1.7 attempts per game, so uh, not go. a lot there. So, but at 5.2 points, I just feel like his defense would be way better than what Lamb's providing. And uh, he's an expiring, so maybe they think. I was going to oh. say the contract is the key there is he's expiring. And he is expiring. 6'8". He's not expiring. He's I not? Disagree. Does he have one more year? I disagree. He has one more year at $10 million. Although I, I would trade Jeremy Lamb straight up for him because I think he's better than Jeremy Lamb. I agree. <laughs> I, but does Orlando think that? I mean, Jeremy uh, Lamb's He guards like that can breathe and have a pulse pretty badly. <laughs> I know. And, and if they're going to lose Fournier next year, they've got Terrence yeah. Ross. And that's number two on my list is Terrence Ross. Uh, I've always liked Terrence Ross as like a bench player, bench yeah, scorer. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, Lamb is going to be probably the guy I focus most of my fake trade, my very minimal fake trade energy on uh, in the next two weeks. Yeah, and I I don't know what it would take to get him. Like Terrence Ross, hmm. he's got three years left, I think, on his contract. He's balling this year, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's playing really well. I mean, it might take Lamb and Aaron. I I know that what you said about Aaron Holiday today and how the Pacers view him, but quite frankly, I, I think he could be something that is a sweetener in a deal. I agree with that. And I don't really think Terrence Ross is just like a short-term investment. I think that he could be somebody that's on the team for a couple of years. If Ross was like one year younger, he would fit the Kevin Pritchard MO of, mm-hmm. of trade targets to a T, right? Lots of years left, playing well, kind of around their prime. He's 30, right? He's already 30. Uh, so that, that yeah. that's the – He just turned the, 30. Yeah, right this season, I think. So, mm-hmm. yes, okay, it is the season. So that, that does fit the Pritchard MO pretty well. And, again, he's playing well. He's better than Lamb, too. 15.5 points a game. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, he's, and and the best the best part about trading for Terrence Ross is he can't play against the Pacers anymore. <laughs> yeah, and he's only started in two games, so he's a bench player. He knows his role. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's kind of why I like, man, I really like him. Uh, another one, I think Adam brought this up, was George Hill. Yeah, I'd love that. He's one. he's a you know it's interesting, but I I feel like I was talking with Fachi about this. I'm like, if you if you bring him in to the starting like lineup with the starters, you know maybe you could take out one of the bigs in, in certain playoff situations and let him play next to Brogdon. Um, that could be interesting to me, as as far as that goes, just because I think he's a good defender at this point in his career. Though yes. I don't know how great he is, and and how much you know playing with Giannis did benefit him. But I, I still he was think good that, in Utah too, though. Right, that's what I'm saying. I just I feel like he just is a very steady player, knows his role, and embraces it. Uh, this is a guy that I I brought up to. It's Josh Richardson with uh, Dallas. I know he's starting, 
but I know that they've been kind of underwhelmed with him, and they probably want to make a change. And I've heard some. Wait, people- a team underwhelmed after acquiring Josh Richardson? That has never happened before. <laughs> that can't be right. Well, for for what Seth Curry's doing with Philadelphia, yeah, too. that too. That oh. trade does not look good. <laughs> no, and so they need shooting really bad in uh in Dallas, and so that's a name that I thought oh, he might be interesting uh, to bring on to the Pacers. Uh, and he's the, good. The he's the trade. opposite of Lamb. He's good on D and gives a lot of effort there, and has some kind of lazy offensive tendencies. Yeah, I mean, and Lamb's shooting the ball well, so that could be something they're like, hey, you know, he's a good shooter, good offensive player. I, I, I mean, you, I don't know if the Mavs who just we're very happy to get him. Um, would like to give him up, but that's interesting. Another it's, interesting guy. Okay. And then this is somebody that you're probably familiar with, but uh, I think he's injured right now. It's Gary Harris. I know he's not been very good. Adam but, just roasts me for Gary Harris takes like all the time. I, off air, Adam might as well just say Gary Harris a hundred times like Riley stop recording because he loves making fun of me for that. So what, what's the whole point of that? I don't, I don't know the inside show. Oh, oh. Um, so the Pacers played the Nuggets in February of 2017, right? This is uh-huh. like Vic. Vic is emerging, but he's not quite like famous yet. You know, he's had a few awesome games. And I said, and Gary Harris, this was Gary Harris' best season of his career. He finished the season with 17 and a half points per game. Yeah. I said, I think Gary Harris is as good, if not a little better than Oladipo right now. And then Oladipo <laughs> had 47 points and hit like the game tying shot since overtime and they won the game in overtime. And then ever since then, Oladipo has been off. Well, not ever since then, but the rest of that season and part of the next season, Oladipo was awesome and Gary Harris was trash. And now yeah. it's like, you're so dumb. Um, but yeah, Gary Harris can't shoot anymore. So he, his value is all defense and he's a good player, but his contract's a lot for a guy who was basically just a one-sided player. Yeah. I think you could get him if you did trade Lamb and McDermott, which oh, I, I wouldn't give up that much for Gary Harris. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't give up that much for Gary. You Harris. don't think so? No. $20 million. Just- He's 26 years old, though, and I think he – the Pacers <laughs> need defense. Very, if he had one more year in his deal, he would fit the Pritchard demo pretty well, right, in his prime, lots of years left. And I think he could be attached for another trade. Like, I think that's something Denver could have up their sleeve. Like, hey, he makes a ton of money, so they could attach him in a trade. Yeah. I mean, that's why I don't think they would do it, but he's just a name that I brought up. So then I'm going to get a little bit weird here. I'm going to go to Houston's team, and I know everybody keeps looking at P.J. Tucker, but some some guys that make you know hardly any money – but have been pretty good for their rotation is Daniel House and David Nawaba. Would you be interested in trying to acquire any of those players in a smaller deal? Big fan of Nawaba. House has been pretty bad this year, right? I might be wrong about that. Yeah, House is down to 31% from three. Ooh, he's, a, he's an okay defender, but he's, I think I've, I've cut the Rockets a few times and he has not been impressive. But Nawaba has been impressive, including a good game against the Pacers, right, earlier this season. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of the reasons he came up to me. So I've kind of kept my eye on him. Uh, Jay Sean Tate's been really good, too. Yeah, he might not even be available. Tate's, like, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, I was like, I don't even put Tate in any trade. Like, he's literally yeah. making $1.4 million over the next three years. So I was like, and he's 25. I'm like, God, that'd be a great player to get. Nawaba, way worse shooter than House, but, like, obscenely good on defense and great, like, slasher. Like, whereas as House is, like, was supposed to be the specialist on offense and has not been. Yeah, Nawaba would be good if the Rockets are selling. The Rockets yeah. are so interesting because they have so many guys that I don't think are first year in value, but they have a lot of guys, like, in that hair. Like, P.J. Tucker's the perfect Harrison Barnes guy where it's like, okay, yeah, you, you gave up a first, and, like, you have your – you're cool, you have P.J. Tucker now. But, like, there's the meme about – remember him being the LeBron stopper that the Raptors had? And there's the oh, yeah. where he's like, LeBron, stop, you know? And it doesn't – like, like giving up a first of that, like, if you're already pretty good, like, Boston level, I think makes some sense. But at the Pacers level, you know, getting a Tucker level guy doesn't make any sense. But Nawaba level guy, 
You know what's interesting about Nawaba is he is very similar to a player we have heard reportedly the Pacers are interested in. That's Garrett Temple. Oh, that so. was the next guy on my list that I was going to bring up. But <laughs> you're welcome. You so are welcome for the. Trip. I, I I did I, I didn't want to transition yet though, so it's a little ahead of the game. And the only but Nawaba and Temple are a lot alike. If you don't want to transition, yet. right, right. <laughs> we we can talk about Temple in a second. But when I when I was looking at trades, I'm like, man, you know, like this is this is probably I think you'll say no to this idea. But I think this is the only way you could probably get in a while, if you're trying to get off Lamb or McDermott, and that's including Eric Gordon in the trade. I know yeah, his no. contract. Nope. I know his contract yeah. is gross. <laughs> but I, is he is he better than Jeremy Lamb right now? Oh my God, way better this year. Okay, so that's what I'm I could saying. not be. I I don't want to be critical of Jeremy Lamb because he is shooting awesome, like great on offense, and he's still killing the Pacers when he's in the game. So I mean, he's just like a shooting slump away from being like the like maybe the 13th best player on the Pacers team. Like I, I would throw him a lot of trades. No offense to him. He looks awesome on offense and there's a lot of credit for keeping his body ready to do that kind of stuff. And Eric Gordon's been a lot better than him. Eric Gordon is also due um, a guaranteed 50 something huge million. Yeah. He's at 16.8 this year. I'm not sure what the rest of his contract is, but that to me, it's like, no, I'm well, not and, and if Eric Gordon didn't have any injury history, you know, maybe you could smile a little bit and be like, Okay, you know what? That's fine. Uh, he hasn't played over seventy games. He's played, let me phrase it. He's played over seventy games once since his rookie year. So, no, I do not want Eric Gordon. Okay, even I'm just my whole thing was if you could get David Awaba in return <laughs> for those two guys, like you're already going to lose McDermott more than likely in free agency. Would be my guess. Oh, even though I know I I just I think he's going to get overpaid. And I don't think that's very go, possible. I don't feel like the Pacers are going to go in the luxury to keep him. I, I, I've said it before. Joe Harris is the best thing that ever happened to Doug McDermott, man. Like, oh, Joe, for sure. Joe even Harris though made Mc, him so much. Even though McDermott we've been talking, finishes the year at thirty-five percent from deep. In which it doesn't matter. I think if this is the reputation right. could it's really possible. could be like that, and that's why I'm like, okay. And the Pacers, we know they have a hard time getting guys in here. Like, yeah. sure, you get like whatever type of player in here, but it's not somebody you're keeping long term. And I think that's where the appeal comes to Gordon having a lengthier contract. Um, I, even though he could get worse, he's 32, obviously, just turned 32 last year on, on Christmas. I didn't realize he was born on Christmas. That's interesting. But he's an IU guy, and I know that it might sound dumb to us, but uh, they the, the fans would probably be excited about that. And I think that, unfortunately, I think the front office would probably look at that as a bit of a reason to bring him in here, even though it might be a dumb reason. But, um, yeah, so then my last guy, you brought him up, Garrett Temple. I, I was interested in, in Jay Michaels reporting about that. Uh, what do you think the Pacers even tried to offer for Garrett? Yeah, Garrett Temple. Um, we we talked about him yesterday on my show, so I have the, I have the thoughts ready. Okay, I think he's in the sweet spot of if the Pacers are buyers, he's the level of player they'll go, they'll go for. Not because he's like amazing or anything, mm -hmm. but I mean they need they need help, right? They're clearly not doing as well as they thought, and he is useful and good, but he would only take you know whatever two seconds or something minor that you're not you know they the Pacers have three seconds in the coming draft if they keep their own pick two if they send the one from they still have that pick from the Thaddeus Young trade to the Nets that eventually has to convey but if they you know if they're between 45 and 60 they have three second rounders in this draft and they already have so many guys locked up next year it's like what the hell are they going to do with three second round picks right they can draft and stash or they can use one to you know get Garrett Temple in the door and, and help them win some games now I think that makes a lot of sense uh, because he's a useful player and he wouldn't cost too much. And he fits in the trade exception they got in the Oladipo Levert deal, which I think is a key factor there. Um, like they could just send out Keelan Martin as a minimum. They bring in Temple, Matt, salary matching, not important. Bulls love to save the money. Uh, 
that probably, you know, the Bulls probably wanted more for him, which is why, you know, they didn't want to deal him in the division for nothing. But, right. you know, that kind of trade makes a lot of sense to me in terms of what they have to offer, what they're dealing with in the coming offseason uh, and their cap situation. Um, so I get why they would pursue that so hard. But, uh, you know, it's Garrett Temple, right? Like he's he's even lower on the Harrison Barnes scale of like he's not actually helping you win a single extra playoff game. He's getting you maybe to the playoffs, and that's why you give up a pick for him. Yeah, yeah, and I and I like I like him a lot actually. I think Garrett Temple makes a lot of sense for this team, but at the same time, like Chicago is trying to make the playoffs, and he's shooting really well and playing. He plays a good defense, so it's like, and, and we're we're kind of struggling. So it's it's been interesting. But last last team that I think is got some players that could be interesting is New York, and this is just for like you New know. Oh, I, I haven't thought about the next. Time. So they've got. Oh like, yes, I have one New York guy, but go ahead. Who is your? Is it Alec Burks? It's not. It's not Alec Burks. Okay, so mine was Austin Rivers. Oh, yeah, he's not playing at all anymore, is he? No, he got taken out of the rotation, and I thought he was pretty good in the playoffs the last couple of years. Even though (laughs) Austin Rivers does very good against the Pacers, so maybe... uh, (laughs) But, I mean, I thought he did good in the playoffs, too, overall. I mean, he's he's a hard player. And then another guy, Frank Nilakina, is, you know, someone that's really struggled. I know Kevin Knox is probably a popular name people have talked about because he's, you know, they've talked about selling him low, but, like, um, to me, I was more so thinking like, if you don't keep McDermott, would you be interested in taking a flyer on like Frank Nilakina and Austin Rivers from McDermott and Jakar Sampson? I think they also have the 2021 second round pick from Detroit. So if Ooh. you could get that involved, I think that'd be interesting. But that was like a trade that I thought this this could make some sense. No, the the next player I would be interested in is Reggie Bullock, and he is not available. He starts. Yeah. And, and well, that's what I was trying to look at. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, he he's good. He's like he's like a fake starter. You know, he plays like the seventh or eighth most minutes on their team, I think. But he he can shoot it incredibly. He's like incredibly is not what I just said, but it's what it sounded like I said. I said credibly, uh, and as an okay offensive player in other areas, so he would help the Pacers kind of in a Garrett Temple level role. Makes about the same money. But you're right, that's not the guy they would get from the Knicks. It would be in the Nilakina, Knox, Austin Rivers kind of grouping. Um, yeah, I like Frankie Smokes. I always kind of have. I don't, are they just, if they're just giving him away, I think I would do that. But, you know, I don't, I wouldn't give up McDermott for any of those guys. Okay. Well, that was my thought. Like if McDermott, you don't feel like you're going to be able to resign him, then maybe you look at investing in a young player like uh, Nilakina. Yeah, that that's what you want to do with McDermott. If you, if you, if you know you're not even going to offer him anything or you're afraid that you're not going to be able to keep up yeah. with anything else, then you have, you basically have to trade him, right? So. Uh, okay. Well, I, I know you think about, I know you're a salary guru. And so I have to ask because I when you're it. trying to like plug in trades, like different trade things, you don't really know how, like if they're, how accurate they are with their salary situations. And sometimes I feel like that can be the case. So like Luke Kennard got a big extension from, from the yeah, Clippers, pill. Gross. but they don't show that whenever you go to do like trades for him on fake trades, which I don't understand, but like it shows it for other players, but not him. And it was like very odd to me because like you could trade in the trade NBA app, McDermott and picks uh, like second round picks for, for Luke Kennard, but they would have to give up like Reggie Jackson to make the salaries match because they're over the cap and they could. Well, his, his contract, his new contract is in search on next year. Right. That's why. I probably Right. So is that what it is? Yeah. His, he's currently still on his rookie deal technically. Okay. Um, or we'll yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We'll see the same Gosh. thing happened with OG and Anobi. Like he's got the poison pill, even though yep. he's. Yeah. Put- poison pill. Uh, my advice for anyone who wants to trade for a poison pill contract would be uh, turn your computer off because it is impossible. It is the most confusing thing in the world. It is technically legally possible, but it is so effing confusing that. But I'm that's gonna... that's why I wasn't sure because, like I said, it didn't show it. 
Yeah. In the thing, and I didn't know if it was legit or not. Like, is there? Why is there no poison pill added to that? Is there? Yeah, he should have poison pill. Luke Kennard should have poison. Pill. Okay, because so what would I... his be? His his total is probably four for what do you do four i can't do math i was like four for 64 was that right four for 64 plus this year like four million so five for 68 that's 13 14 ish of outgoing but it counts as three man that's really hard that's just really hard maybe because the patriots patriots have exceptions i don't know i know he the way poison pill works is he counts as uh 13 mil of incoming salary for the for the team that's acquiring him Mm-hmm. But he only counts three mil of outgoing salary for the team that's sending him out. So you have to bridge that gap by adding up the salaries in the point where it fits within like the 1.25 times salary. Well, this is way too dorky. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's you'd have to get up to like 20 million salaries to make that 10 million dollar gap go. It's hard. It's so hard. That is weird. Yeah. Well, because then my fake trade wouldn't make any sense. Then if that's the case, because I was wondering about it, and I was like, why is there no poison pill? But it worked. It was basically McDermott and two second round picks for Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard. Uh, just because you have to have somebody that has salary that can match up and like, they don't really have a lot of low key salary players. Um, I mean, maybe you could throw in like Patrick Patterson or whatever, but who wants that, that player? I don't really want Reggie Jackson either, but um, I was just trying to think of something because, you know, they're a team that needs shooting and Kennard's really been out of the rotation because he's been so inconsistent. 20, 24 years old. I thought he would make some sense for the Pacers, but uh, especially if the Clippers are in win now mode. But yeah, now that you kind of crushed my dreams with the poison pill, I don't. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta turn that one off. But last one here. This is a. This is a three team trade that I came up with, and I ran it by somebody. They said that it was too much uh, to give up, but I, I said Jeremy Lamb and McDermott to Orlando, George Hill and Terrence Ross, Indiana, Aaron Holiday and Michael, Michael Carter Williams to Oklahoma City. Wait, wait. So they give up Aaron Holiday. Jeremy Lamb, McDermott, and they get Ross and, and George Hill. Yeah, that was that was my trade. No, that's that's a good value. I don't know who's who's telling you that's too much. That's pretty good value. Well, they said OKC would laugh because George Hill's a buyout player. What, what's OKC getting for George uh, Hill? Aaron Holiday and Michael Carter Williams just to make salaries match? I don't get why they wouldn't do that. Those values are okay. I, I feel like it made sense for the Pacers. Plus, I'm scratching my head, I, I think that's mostly okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's nothing like the yeah. Ariza and George Hill. If you if you're like, hey, if you tell Sam Presti, like, come scratch his back. You're like, yeah, you can have him. <laughs> you well, know? yeah, that's why he. I think that's what he was saying. Like, don't give up Aaron for him. Like, you could throw in like Jakar, but I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe Jakar in a second. I don't, I don't know what it would yeah, take. But yeah. they took TJ Leaf off of our hands. I would love to give him Jalen. Like, 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 like compared to your Harrison Barnes stuff, that's the same core without the pick, right? And yeah, like, like we said, then that the only positive value there is whatever value McDermott has. So, and I like, I like George Hill's uh, contract. I think it's like they can wave it next year over two years. Yeah. Or yeah. And then Terrence Ross is on a good contract, and I think that would be like, hey, but I don't, I don't think Orlando would do it. Um, <laughs> because all they're getting is Lama McDermott that they wouldn't want that. Yeah. So it's, you know, when you're trying to think of trying it is, it's so hard. Uh, but that's where I'm at with it. It's just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, just try to throw different names out there because it feels like everybody that's all the same contracts just keep coming up, you know, and, and guys that could actually be obtainable. Like I know Pacer fans want that young, that type of player, but I just don't think he's available. Uh, and, and someone like Larry Nance Jr. I don't think he's available like for what we have to offer. And so. also in the Harrison Barnes tier, both of them. Yeah. Uh, see, and I don't think I would. If you're the up. Celtics, yeah, those are the, that's the team that's like, yes, I'll give up a first for that level of guy. The right. Pacers are 16 and 19 and in 10th. They do not give up first for that <laughs> level of guy. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I should probably wrap this up. We've got Antonio Davis coming on next. So it's a lengthy segment here, but it's going to be a long podcast. But uh, I think there's a lot of good things oh, to I'm talk about. Oh, I'm leading off for him? I didn't know it was that. Yeah, you're, you're, oh, you're my gosh, off. the pressure. Oh, you have yeah. traded Anthony East for Antonio Davis. That's a home run <laughs> trade, Alex. Great job. That's that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm all about making good <laughs> trades here. Obviously, my uh, trade ideas have been blah, but uh, anyway, uh, WTHR.com. Talk a little bit more about that real quick. Yeah, it's the new um, Tegna who owns WTHR acquired the Lockdown Podcast Network. They're expanding their podcasting reach. They love the local aspect of it because Tegna owns a lot of local news stations. So you'll see some of the Lockdown Pacers podcasts on uh, WTHR and. When big things happen in Pacerland, uh, I will get to write columns about it for them. So that's really cool. That is, that is super cool, man. Well, congratulations to you. Happy for you. And, uh, you know, anything you Same got. to you. This is on Blue Wire now, which is also sweet. Yeah, I, it's, it's still in the process. Oh, of, shoot. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. No, so it's fine. It's fine. Okay. We're, we've are we signed the contract. It's just okay. Okay. The, the, the process of moving the RSS feeds has been, yeah, uh, you know, how that goes. Yeah. But yep. but we're, we're eventually going to be on there, um, you know, want to give a shout out to Overtime Media for having us for the last six months, eight months, they've been terrific. And, you know, they've, uh, they've been awesome to pick us up, but yeah, blue wire. We're really excited about that, man. So uh cool opportunity for both of us to just keep growing. And uh, go, I'm excited baby. about it. Hey, so, podcasts are flying. I love it. I love to the it. moon so, as the, as the kids are saying these days, any, anything you want to plug though, before we get off here? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I'll have a story. I actually, I, I will have a cool story soon. I don't know when people are listening to this, I'm writing about the fever and their new partnership with Anthem to allow them to uh, have better community outreach. And it's a really oh, cool thing really that they're cool. doing. Talk to Tiffany Mitchell about uh, some of the stuff they've been doing. So I'm, it's, it's going to be cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that does sound cool. So uh, be on the lookout for that. You can find them at TSNBA. And uh, we'll be right back with Antonio Davis and Fachi. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Pacer Nation, joining us now is former Indiana Pacers big man Antonio Davis. Antonio, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I just got to start things off, man. Like, what's going on in your world right now? How are you doing? (laughs) Um, Well... I was living in Atlanta for about, I guess, 10 years or so. And the last couple of years, I just moved back to Northern California where I'm originally from. And um, since I've been here, man, it's really just been uh, a blessing. You know, my mom retired a couple of years ago. Um, I got nieces and nephews that are growing and cousins that I've missed forever. So just kind of getting acclimated to being back home. Um, all the kids are grown now and out of the house. Um, AJ's over in Greece playing ball and Kayla's in Israel getting ready to go into the WNBA. My two oldest daughters are about to be new moms. So I'll be a grandpa. Well, I am a grandpa. I'll be a grandpa for the second and third time. So other than that, man, just, you know, hanging low, staying out of the way um, with all the crazy mess that's going on in the world today. Just blessed to wake up every day, healthy, right frame of mind, and just, you know, ready to deal with life. 
Hey, congrats to that. Uh, it sounds like, you know, everyone in the family is doing really well. And when you mentioned, uh, you know, two of your kids playing overseas, something that you were very familiar with, Antonio, you had, you know, not the typical path to the NBA as a second round pick, played overseas for a, a few seasons before coming to the NBA with the Pacers. Uh, how rewarding was it to be able to make it to the NBA at right around age 25? You know, it was great. I, I never really had that dream of playing in the NBA, you know. Um, I think for me starting out, I just wanted to go to college. I wanted to have an opportunity to have a good life. And from what I was told at the time, it was go to school and get an education. So that's kind of where my, my mind was. And then as I grew, you know, probably um, two or three inches in high school and then another two or three inches in college, and I go from, you know, 6'1", six, 6'2", six, to like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, you know, then uh, things change really quickly, you know. Um, and so going overseas was really one of those things where, you know, skill-wise, I just didn't think that I was, you know, coming out of college and ready to add value to an NBA team. And so my agent at the time, Bill Duffy, you know, uh, I, I talked to him about options, like what, and he talked to me about options, like, you know, what, what we could do to, you know, get me some more experience and, and playing overseas was obviously an option. Um, and it really helped. And I, and Donnie Walsh at the time, I was very excited about what he told me, which was basically, you know, he didn't have a problem with that. He thought it'd be good for me. Um, so I went overseas and just, you know, I, I you practice twice a day. You only play a couple games a week. It really gave me an opportunity to hone my game and, and, and more than anything, just grow up as a young man. You know, you, you come out of college, you think you know, but you really don't know, you know, so having the opportunity to spend a few years just kind of growing up and getting prepared for the NBA really, really helped me out. Yeah, and I think what's really important to notice here is you joined this Pacers team in 93-94 right when they were starting to take that leap from, you know, being a good playoff team to, you know, really starting to compete with the upper echelon teams of the Eastern Conference, those bloodbaths against New York and, and Chicago that we're all familiar with. But I just – I got to go back and just what is the most memorable part of that – time in the early part of your career just kind of having to go up against those New York Knicks teams and those Chicago Bull teams uh, head to head what were those series like for you you know let me start off by just you know thanking Donnie Walsh and the, and the Pacers for you know even drafting me even considering that right mm -hmm. that was such a blessing within itself and then to come on to a team that had so many veterans you know um, Reggie Miller, uh, LaSalle Thompson, Vern Fleming, um, you know, I, I, Dale was, had just gotten there. So it was, it was, um, you know, the one thing I learned is coming on to a team with veterans that teach you how to be a professional, teach you how to come in each and every day and work really hard. That, that doesn't always happen, you know, and I was very fortunate to, to become an Indiana Pacer. 
And then, yes, to come in during a time where, <laughs> you know, each and every night you're, you're having some true battles, but, um, you know, during a period of time in basketball where I think was, you know, so pivotal at that time, you know, the game was changing a lot. I think, you know, um, a lot of European players are being introduced into the NBA, the style of play, you know, that the New York Knicks established and the Chicago Bulls had mastered along with the Detroit Pistons. Um, you know, they, I think the NBA was trying to figure out, you know, how do, how do we make this game more exciting and not, not so much a bloodbath, you know? But uh, I embraced all of that and, and learned how to play that way and adjusted as things came. And, um, and it, was a, it was a great experience, you know, especially those playoff runs. You know? But more than anything, I just remember, you know, kind of being around Reggie and, and the whole Indiana Pacers deal. You know, like to him, it was, it was bigger than just basketball and winning a game, you know, it was like representing small town Indiana against, you know, um, big city New York Knicks or, you know, big city Chicago Bulls. So it, it was always a, a great challenge for us to go out and represent Indiana. You know, some of the, the those rivalries, you know, the term bloodbath, it just feels like it's summed up, you know, 90s style basketball that us fans miss today but I couldn't just glance over you mentioned Reggie Miller without without being able to ask can you take us through what it was like in that infamous eight points in 8.9 seconds against the Knicks I believe it might have been a game that I think you might have been ejected in was, was that true <laughs> yeah I was just about to say I, I watched that <laughs> game just like everybody else you know I, I had uh, I had kind of a, a, a backroom view of it but, you know, I will say this about Reggie. When you were on the floor with Reggie or, or on his team, you always felt like you had a chance, right? I don't care if it's fourth quarter, two minutes left, down eight. You feel like you have a chance to win. Get him open, you know, get some stops, and he'll make it happen, right? So that just used to be my thing is I'm going to defend make sure I get this rebound and make sure I get him open and we got a chance to win. And most times we did, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was great playing with a guy like that who had that type of confidence and skill, you know, and, and really, you know, they say ice in the veins, Reggie wasn't scared of anything, you know, any big moment he embraced and we always knew we had a shot. Yeah, and I, and I want to talk about that game seven against the Chicago Bulls in 1998. Obviously, the Pacers had a huge lead to start out, and the Bulls come back. Just kind of walk me through what you guys were talking about in the locker room after that disappointing loss, because, you know, I think a lot of fans felt like you guys could have competed with Utah um, had you made the NBA Finals that year. Yeah, man, you know, I think when it was all said and done, I think the one thing – we we could all agree on is you know we kind of gave it our all right mm -hmm. with that series we just felt like you know each and every game 
who was going to show up that day and just play better, you know? Um, and, and most days we showed up, we gave it our best shot. And those days we won, we were just better that day. The next day was a different day. You know, I think we were evenly matched. Um, you know, we, we you know, home court advantage was obviously a, a big one. You know, playing that game seven in Chicago is different than playing it in Indiana, for sure, right? So um, I, I don't think we kind of felt like, uh, you know, we disappointed each other. You know, we just, we made a couple more mistakes than they did. They hit a, a couple more shots than we did. And that's, that's how, that's kind of how we felt about it. Hey, no, I mean, it's not easy taking down Michael Jordan. Uh, very few can say that they've done that. But, you know, the, the Pacers run it back, another close conference finals against the Knicks. And then, you know, the following year, I mean, rightfully so, you're looking for a, you know, more of an opportunity. And the Pacers do make a move. They, they make a move that sends you to Toronto. And yeah. I'm sure, Antonio, I'm sure you've heard it before. And I believe it to be the truth. So do many other Pacer fans. We feel that if you had been with the team in that NBA finals in 2000, that you could have made a difference, I mean, at least slow down, help us slow down Shaq a little bit. Do you yeah. think that and I have to put it that way because that's MVP Shaq, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Six more fouls. That's exactly. it. There you exactly. go. Six more fouls. <laughs> Do you think maybe that six game series could have been a little bit different? Think about this. Three of those losses were decided by 14 points total. Yeah, I, I mean, I went to a couple of those games. I know I went to one and I watched them all. And I mean, it was it was just crazy, you know, being in that environment. And I was so happy for those guys too. You know, there was nothing in me that wasn't happy, right? Um, to answer your question, yeah, I, I do believe that, you know, maybe things could have been different. And I know that's very vague, but I, I would like to think that I would have been helpful in, in their quest to get to the finals. Um, but again, you are talking about a, a Shaq and Kobe, who at that time were just, man, they were playing some incredible basketball and they had a great group of guys around them. Um, you know, and the other thing for me is when I look back, man, I just was like, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm never going to second guess and I appreciate everything Toronto allowed me to do or, you know, giving me the opportunity to do. Um, but there are times where I, I was like, man, I, I, I wish I would have stayed, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I also knew, you know, hey, I come in at 25, you don't really get a lot of opportunity to, you know, kind of decide your fate, you know? And I felt like it was going to be the one time that I was going to have a choice and I was going to be able to kind of create my own value. And uh, I think that's why all of that happened. But again, you know, I probably would have given it all back to play in that one series, you know? Oh, yeah. Because I, I didn't get back to the finals, um, I didn't I didn't get a chance to experience you know winning the conference finals or none of that right. So um, 
that that's always going to be, you know, a part of what I think about is this part of my NBA career. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, and I think it's really cool that you were actually at some of those games to support the guys. And I'm sure it probably, I, I got to ask, because when you get traded like that in the NBA, and I know it can be difficult because transactions are hard for everybody involved, but, you know, you started out with the Pacers, you spent six years with them. You know, looking back, you know, you get traded. How much did you feel like you were still a part of that, you know, that that group of guys, that team, even though you were on the Raptors technically uh, in, in 2000, uh, 2000? Oh, man, when they lost, I felt, you know what I'm saying? When they won, I felt it. I was still, you know, talking to those guys. Um, I still was, you know, um, to this day, you know, Dell Davis is still my good friend. I just got off the phone with him the other day. You know? Love it. So I, 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 you know, I hated it for them, you know, but they played well. I mean, they gave the Lakers all they can handle, you know. The Lakers were just a great team. There's nothing you could, you know, say or do about that. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was difficult to watch. It was difficult to be there. You know, I, I found myself sweating on the sidelines, you know, <laughs> which I was, you know, in the game. But uh, yeah, I was proud of those guys, man. They they did a great job. Yeah, now, nah, hey, we, we missed you. But, you know, when you go over to Toronto, you end up being a full-time starter over there. You even make the 2001 All-Star team. So, you know, it shows that, hey, individually, you made the right move and you were able to grow there. But you also get the Raptors into the playoffs for the first time, which I thought was really underrated. But you're playing with two young up-and-coming guys in Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter. Did you know early on that those two were going to be special? You know... I, I did, you know, they, we, we debated all the time about the both of them, what would happen, and what would happen if they stayed together. Um, and unfortunately they didn't, you know, but Vince and Tracy would square off and practice every day and, and, you know, led us as captains and, um, and, and really, you know, watched, watched them grow over the course of just that one season, you know, and was kind of begging Tracy, you know, at the time. And I understood, you know, looking back, I understood why he left, but it was, it was, a, it was a crazy thing to be around those two young guys at that moment because they were just so raw and so talented, you know, and for both of them to go on and continue to expand their game. Cause you know, the fear is for a Vince Carter, a guy with that kind of athleticism, you're thinking, okay, he's not gonna last long if he can't shoot the ball. And then he showed you very early on that he can shoot the ball. He can shoot deep threes. He can, he had a mid range game and he continued to get better. Um, and you had to respect him because he was just so athletic, right? So uh, it was, you know, being a part of that team was, was really, it was a lot of fun. And at the time being in, in Canada, especially in Toronto, you know, um, competing with the Maple Leafs during that time of year for fans, mm -hmm. you know, was, was really cool, man. You know, we, I, I enjoyed every moment of it. 
Yeah, and so I, I have to ask this because Jalen Rose, one of your former teammates, was was on ESPN on his show, Jalen and Jacoby, this week, and it was a clip that kind of went around that I really appreciated it as he said, you know, we got to quit this media narrative to try to get, you know, good players in small markets to go to big markets. And, you know, obviously Indiana being a smaller market, it's, it can have its challenges of, a, you know, acquiring free agents and, and, and that kind of thing. But as someone who played in a small market, what can you say, you know, you played with New York and Chicago. So I'm just curious the differences you saw with playing in a small market compared to a big market. And, and your thoughts on what Jalen had to say about all these people trying to get the, you know, the, the, the good player out of a small town as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one side is the business side, which I understand, you know, um, you got a Giannis playing in Milwaukee. Is that best for business? Probably not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it good for basketball in the city of Milwaukee? For sure. You know, I think the one thing for me is, you know, being in Indiana in a smaller market, you kind of felt attached to that community and those fans, you know what I mean? It was like, it was such a great feeling. And the team, you know, I remember going back there and um, all of the Simons clan, now their kids had kids and all of that just kind of that family feeling, you know, that I think you get lost going to a New York. It's almost like a, a business and the expectations are high. And if you're not good enough, they just get rid of you. You know, there's no loyalty whatsoever. It's all about winning and being on top. You know, um, when I was in Indiana, I felt like a part of that city, a part of that community, a part of that team and the fan base. So I went out there and played like I appreciated that. And I don't think you get that same feeling if you're in a New York or Chicago uh, to that extent. Now, don't get me wrong. There's the perks of playing in those big cities too, right? You know, the exposure and all that you get. Um, But a lot of times, you know, that's only beneficial to the big stars, right? That's not really beneficial to a majority of the players. So um, I do, I I don't agree that, you know, hey, get Giannis out of Milwaukee. That's not the answer. I think the answer is continue to find him players to build around him because how great would it be to, you know, have a championship come out of of Milwaukee, you know, such a small town. So we'll see how all that plays out. You know, you mentioned Pacers ownership. Um, you know, when, when things are great, hey, everyone's happy. When things are, you know, not going uh, as as well as, you know, we hoped, sometimes the fans might kind of blame the ownership to say they're more content with just being a steady playoff team instead of going for it all. Do you buy that at all, having been part of the organization? No, I, I don't. You know, I will say this. I think there are, you know, if there's – there's 30 teams in the NBA, right? I would say there's probably in any given season, right? There's probably, there's probably, sorry about that, fellas. At any given point, I feel like there's probably 
12 teams maybe that are thinking, hey, we got a shot. So we're going to go for it, right? Because everybody can't have a shot. And I don't think it's great business to, um, you know, to, to put all your eggs in one basket. Like, like it just take it's a process to get to the playoffs, right? Like if you, you know, if you don't have the ingredients, if you don't have a star player and some supporting roles, and, and in today's NBA, if you don't have two or three superstars in the supporting cast, you know you're not going to win a championship, right? So if you know that, then what's what are you shooting for? What's the next best thing? So wherever you are in that process will determine kind of your moves, right? And it just depends on how the fans view that. And like I said, I think Pacer fans who, who I feel like are real basketball savvy understands kind of the ebb and flow of, okay, we got to put a team together so we can be good. So we might not be good this year, but we're going to, you know, we're going to be good the year after or the year after. Whereas, you know, you're in some of these big markets and it doesn't matter. The fans don't care, you know, spend the money, get whoever we need when we need them so that we're always winning. So I think that that's a big difference. Yeah. So I got to ask you about this year's Pacers team. I'm not sure if you got to see them too much, but um, you know, DeMontis Sabonis is a two-time all-star now. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, on him as a player and this current Pacers team. You know, I've watched him a little bit, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I don't, well, I'll be honest. I don't watch much basketball nowadays to be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, but when I do watch, um, I'm not surprised. I watched him a little bit in, in college and I thought that he would be good, not this good. But again, you just have to look at the way that basketball is being played today. Like if, if, if kids are making that, you know, uh, really starting in college and their coach is giving them an opportunity, say at that size, you know, to play different roles on the team and understand what it's going to take, then you got a shot, you know, and, and uh, he's obviously taking full advantage of it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, where the Pacers end up this year. You know, I think uh, my buddy, Greg Foster, joining the team this year as yeah. an assistant coach, and I talked to him a lot, and he's excited about, you know, uh, about being there and, um, you know, the kids that are there playing and whatnot. So, you know, we talk a lot about that, but I, I you know, I think from his perspective, it's getting there you know, work hard every day and wherever the chips lie at the end of the year, you do a reassessment and try to come back and be better the next year. So we'll, we'll see how they, how they manage to get through the season. And only, only time will tell, but uh, to wrap this up, I figured we'd play a little quick hot seat, rapid fire. First initial instinct that comes to your mind would be about, uh, let's see, six quick questions. Starting from the top, favorite teammate of yours. Favorite teammate of mine, Dale Davis. I love it. Toughest player that you had to guard? Uh, between Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Tim Duncan. Oh, two Hall of Famers right there. 
player that you looked up to or try to model your game after growing up? Whoa. You know, early on, I saw this fight that Maurice Lucas had, and I wanted to be him, man. I wanted, I wanted to walk on the floor and people go, ooh. He about, to, he about to come in the game. <laughs> well, you did intimidate a few people in your day, so uh, you did a good job with that. Most heartbreaking playoff series loss you were a part of? Uh, obviously, that four-point play with Larry Johnson, New York, <laughs> oh that, God, that so whole season. We weren't now, trying to bring so, up old ghosts. I know. It's okay, though. You know, I, I've had a lot of therapy. I've had time to sit on the couch and, and think about that one, so I'm good with it now. Uh-huh. But um, I, I really hurt for my teammates, right? We prepared that year. We were ready. We knew we had a chance. And uh, not saying that that one play was it, but to me it was. I, well, I want to interject real quick. Do you remember the referee's name that called that foul on you? Was it Jess? I don't know. I don't remember. I think it was Jess Kersey. I think it was Jess Kersey. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. And, and it's okay. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I've talked to him since, so it's it's all <laughs> good. I'm telling you, I've gone through the whole psychological thing. I, I fixed it, so I'm good. <laughs> hey, we're we're gonna let that rest and uh, still try and you know move forward. Uh, like, whew, it's tough, but favorite player to watch in today's game. I know you mentioned to watch too much, but you got to have a favorite. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, you know what? I'm still trying to adjust to big guys being out on three-point line. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm still not adjusting to that. But I, I am amazed with Anthony Davis. Another AD? Yeah, you know, and the reason, let me tell you why. So he'll go on one end. And he'll guard a big guy. It seems like he takes defense seriously, rebounding seriously, protecting the the rim seriously, right? That's huge. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, man, he's making plays. And I I know you know the story behind him. He started as a little, you know, little bitty point guard, 6'2", you know what I'm saying? Real lanky and skinny. Next thing you know, he's 6'10", 6'11". And he still kind of got some of that same skill set. This game is perfect for him today. So every time I'm watching him, man, I'm, I'm amazed at just how he is on both ends of the floor, you know. Um, and, 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 and with the Pacers, Miles, man. Miles turned I was watching something the other day, and he's leading the league in blocks. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. Like, like I'm – I'm amazed at that in today's game because it seemed like so many players run away from the rim when somebody's coming down the middle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like no back in the day, on. we felt like that was our job. Okay, dunk on me, but my job is to stop you from putting a ball in the basket. So if you happen to get one by me, it's okay. Where now it's like nobody wants to be in the highlights. Nobody wants to be on social media. So they're trying to move out of the way. You know what I'm saying? Big time. So to have him lead the league in blocks, man, is awesome. Last question for you. Who is the GOAT in your mind? Oh, Michael Jordan, bro. <laughs> like, I I, 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 there's no way that I'm going to go against that. Now, I am super impressed with LeBron because over the years, 
this this guy's played at a high level for a long period of time. Oh yeah. Multiple positions. Obviously, he goes onto a team and he affects that team. So, you know, there's a lot to be said about that, but you know. You can't go to the finals all that many times and lose. You know what I'm saying? I agree MJ with you. MJ went six times, wins six times, MVP, I don't know how many times. I mean, that's six, that's incredible. Times. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah. You got a quick MJ story for us uh, before we wrap up? You know, the, the crazy part, you, you know, when he came back and he played in Indiana that time, you know, I was like a little kid. I, I don't <laughs> even – I go back, I think uh, somebody showed me some clips of that game, and I'm like, man, I was not there as a player that game. I was definitely there as a fan, you know? Well, <laughs> hey, you guys got the win? We did get the win, but it wasn't because of Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, I've got a quick follow-up question because I've, I've heard some different things. I've heard some people say that they used to see a lot of the Pacers players down at Fridays, but – I'm just curious, what was the big go-to hangout place for you guys after games? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, man. There was a couple places that I don't even think are there anymore. Um, there was one, was it on the east side, called the Baritz or something like that? I'm it was a sure. little nightclub on a I know, bro, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> You know, the hard part for us a lot of times, and I, 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 well, at least I know for me, when, when I, when I did decide to go out, I really just wanted to go out, listen to some good music, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, you know, and I can say it now that I'm not playing, have a drink if we didn't have, you know, a game the next day or whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, with it being a small town, there was really nowhere you can go and not, you know, and, 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 and you know, cause you, you didn't want, you didn't want people to think, oh, they just hanging out They're you know, they're going to lose the next game or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you were trying to sneak out, which you can, I don't know how I thought I could sneak at six, nine, but you try to just sneak out and have a good time, you know, and get and get back. So we were constantly finding these kind of small spots to kind of meet up and just kind of hang out that was off the beaten path and and kind of spend some time together or, you know, with a small group of fans or, or teammates or friends and not be at the the most happening spot. Uh, right. At least I wasn't. The guys I hung around <laughs> with, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we are now. Awesome, uh, awesome. pre-social media days, and you could do anything you wanted. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know how they do it nowadays, bro. I don't know. I either. would, I wouldn't be anywhere. I'd be at home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> awesome stuff. Man. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks so much Thank for joining you. us, Ad. Oh man, good luck to you guys. You guys take care. Pacer Nation, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Setting the Pace. Make sure you find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My co-host is at underscore FACCI. I want to thank Tony East and Antonio Davis, former Indiana Pacer, for coming on the podcast today. Fachi was not able to do the exciting recording for me, so I'm going to set myself up tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow against the Los Angeles Lakers as the Pacers are battling. I'm going to be up in my living room 
shout in these three words. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.